0: And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's the Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves Chevelle's. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, was it ever a beautiful day here on Milleronia today. So good to be back. Colonel Jeff, of course, loves it here. And, uh, well, he's got the right nature for it. And also, he'd better, because as you know, <laughs> I love playing a tough head honcho on Milleronia. <laughs> Anyway, it we it's, it is a beautiful day. I ordered it to be a beautiful day. So all my people in the weather department made it a beautiful day. And uh, it really is gorgeous here though. We and we love it here so much. And uh as always that music makes me happy. That's the Sam Peckinpah Orchestra and the Sally Struthers Dancers featuring boy tenor Don Riley asking the musical question What would happen if we went with further ado? Well, boy, good question, Don. If we went with further ado, well, first of all, we'd never get any new streetlights then. But, you know, I wondered, what what does, wait, what, what does that mean? And Colonel Jeff uh, told me that he said, uh, he explained, well, you know, that, that old saying, you know, without further ado... Let's, you know, hear from the councilman. Without further ado, let's vote on this motion. And uh, we've all heard that, and it means, well, how do you like that? I've never thought about that before. It means, without further ado, ado meaning all sorts of chatting and talking and analysis and breaking things up and down and putting them back together. So it's a good time to say for the chairman at the meeting— well, without further ado, please welcome, whatever the thing is. And so Don wants to know, what would happen if we went with further ado? Well, I think, number one, whatever, whatever question folks were trying to solve would never get solved. I mean, never. The whole committee would just sit there for another two hours yakking about it until someone finally said, look, we're getting nowhere, let's at least move to a bar and get walloped. Well, <laughs> we all know how much gets solved then. And, uh, you know, we just say nothing. So, good question, Don, that uh, what would happen if we went with further ado? We'd all wind up in a bar at around quarter to eleven instead of going home. Because we couldn't vote on whatever the thing was. And uh, I know on the surface you might say, what's wrong with being in a bar at a quarter to 11? Well, I'm afraid that's another question entirely. But uh, good for you, Don. Don Riley asking the musical question, what would happen if we went with further ado? And the answer is nothing. So uh, you know what? And by the way, I mentioned the great Sam Peckinpah and Sally Struthers. And uh, intentionally, they're part of something I'm going to talk about later, but it's always good to say their fine names. It sure is to me, and it sure is to Colonel Jeff. And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon. Still the greatest company in the world, and not just because they send us a percentage of whatever you order. Okay, that is the reason. But still, they will send you anything. They get anything for you. They have it there in a giant warehouse. Or they just they just get it instantly. Or they make it instantly. This is a good company. And uh, you know what? You should go to them. Because you can get anything you can even imagine. Anything you can think of, you can get from Amazon. Except, of course, Amazon. An actual Amazon, you can't get one of them. You can't just have the doorbell ring boom boom., well, who's that? It's some beautiful woman who's six foot four and just really full of muscles. looks like she could swim the English Channel with one arm, and you know what and by the way, if that ever happens, just I've said this before, if you if the doorbell rings at your place and there's a gorgeous Amazon standing there. Call us immediately, and we'll come right over. Colonel Jeff and I both have a red light on our phone, like, uh, well, from the, in like Flint movies, and it's not the president calling, they're calling us. You're calling us, and we will get right out of bed and put on our slippers and bathrobe, because that's polite, and then we, well, run into the bathroom, brush our teeth, get dressed, and come right we'll come right over and... Take that Amazon off your hands, so to speak. But you know what? It's uh, still Amazon is just great. They do send us a percentage of whatever you order and uh, go to them. And, you know, I always say, because it's true, sure, you can get there on your computer, on your laptop, on your iPhone, or whatever you have, whatever you want. You can get there on that, but don't bother, because we'll take you there and we'll do it better. You go to our website, which is LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. Oh, forgive me. I shouldn't have had the cabbage. But, you know, you go to our website because we have a banner that says Amazon. Click that and then stroll into your den and just sit down in your big lazy boy chair and, and rock it back. Put a magazine over your face and take a take a great nap. And we'll get you there. Thank you, Amazon, and thank you, folks, for knowing. You can call them and then call us. And that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. Still nothing like a good joke, and the Colonel and I both like this one a lot. It's... Uh, You see, there's an Irishman and an Englishman walking down the street. And they pass a bakery. And they decide, well, they want something there. And they walk in, and the Englishman leans over and whispers to the Irishman, Now, now watch this. I'm going to just take three rolls. And you'll see how fast I am. The owner won't even notice. And I'm, uh, all right. So he walks over to the counter. Just takes three fresh rolls and puts them in his pocket. Just slips them in there, and and he walks back and winks at the Irishman. And that fellow boy, you know, and the, sure enough, he was he, he was true that the the owner didn't even notice. But the Irishman says to him, "You know what? That's just crap. I don't like the way you did that. You you just stole them. Anyone can do that. Now watch me, and I'll get the same result with my way." of doing it just on the up and up and, uh, and, uh, it, it, you'll see. And I won't have to do anything dirty to get it. And the Irishman walks up to the counter and says to the owner, hi, mister. And, uh, the owner looks up and he says, come here, come over here. I've got, I've got a trick. I want to show you a magic trick. And the owner is, well, he's intrigued and he walks over and, uh, the Irishman says to him, uh, you have any rolls, any fresh rolls? And the owner says, well, yes. And then he hands him a fresh roll, and the Irishman takes a bite and then eats the whole thing, just eats it. And uh, he smacks his lips, and then he says to the owner, give me a second one. And the owner also is, well, he looks a little puzzled, but gives him a second roll, and the Irishman just eats it the same way, eats it, down it goes. And the Irishman says, uh, one more. Give me a third roll. And the owner now, well, gives him a third roll. And the Irishman, same thing, eats it. It goes down. And the owner says to him, I gave you three rolls. What's the trick? And the Irishman says, look in the Englishman's pocket. (laughs) We thought that that was a good one. And got a good laugh out of it. And I said to the colonel after that, you know, in our in our prep work for the show, I said, boy, even after that all happens, the Englishman would probably say to him, uh, can't you just let all that go? And the Irishman would look at him and say, no. And that would be the answer to that. No. Never. But in any case, we thought that was a pretty good one. And as always, if you like it, pass it on. Keep good jokes alive. Tell someone in your family or your kids or someone at work. And uh, it's like good music. There's nothing wrong with keeping a good joke alive. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show The Poetry Corner. Beautiful. By the way, that uh, fellow with the cough Sounds like he should have chewed his roll better And uh, this is a, a beautiful poem, folks By the great Robert Louis Stevenson And it's called Small is the trust when love is green Small is the trust when love is green In sap of early years A little thing steps in between And kisses turn to tears A while, and see how love be grown In loveliness and power. A while, it loves the sweets alone, But next it loves the sour. A little love is none at all That wanders or that fears. A hearty love dwells still at call To kisses or to tears. Such then be mine, my love to give, And such be yours to take. A faith to hold, a life to live, for loving-kindness' sake. Should you be sad, should you be gay, or should you prove unkind? A love to hold the growing way and keep the helping mind. A love to turn the laugh on care when wrinkled care appears, and with an equal will to share your losses and your tears. Isn't that lovely? Robert Louis Stevenson sure knew how to put words down on paper. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. m MMM, The Magic Movie Moment. This is a wonderful movie. And uh been a while since I've seen it. I've seen it... Many times, but not in a long time. And I'd sure like to see it again. The Getaway, from 1972. Directed by Sam Peckinpah. Written by Walter Hill. Starring Steve McQueen, Allie McGraw, Ben Johnson, Slim Pickens, Sally Struthers. And it's a terrific movie, folks. The magic movie moment for today, to me in a movie filled with them, but the magic movie moment is after a giant climax scene where Steve McQueen, well, playing Doc McCoy, and he is in a gunfight, and five men are killed, and Steve McQueen's not one of them. And he and his wife at that point, played by Ally McGraw, Run out into the street And they essentially An old ratty pickup truck is going by They steal it As it's going they stop the guy And they get in And the guy driving is Slim Pickens A terrific actor Slim was great in everything And uh, they hijack him And they say drive south They head right to Mexico Because they're not far from the border And they do They head to Mexico And it becomes a great scene in relationship. There, Slim Pickens is so charming, and he at one point just says to Allie McGraw, "You two married?" And she says, uh, "Yep." And he says, "That's good. I'm glad to hear that." Problem today: too many young folks like you just don't do anything that has any morals in it, and uh, and he smiles and. Uh, she smiles and we like him so much. And Steve McQueen smiles and they drive to Mexico. They cross that border. And at that point, well, you know, they go a few miles into Mexico. And uh, he says, he says, chats with Steve McQueen again. And McQueen says, why don't you pull over here? And they do, boy, it's just, there's nothing around. It's not a town, it's not a city. They're just in the middle of, well, rough country in Mexico. And Slim gets out, and McQueen gets out, and they just stroll away about 10 feet. And McQueen says to him, Would you take $10,000 for your truck? And we know, as the audience, they have a lot of money in their little duffel bag there. I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And McQueen says this, and Slim Pickens says, uh, You mean if I don't tell anyone about you or meeting you or who you are or where you're going? And McQueen nods and says, that's what I want. And he says, uh, and Allie McGraw in the truck still is starting with with a small smile. She's starting to count out that money in hundreds. And, well, folks, after we think as the audience, Good Lord, after all they went through personally and in that work and in that dark, awful world to get this money, and she's counting it out in uh, hundreds, and uh, Pickens uh, calls into the truck and, and says, uh, How about 20000 And we all smile with the audience, and, uh, and McQueen smiles too. And Allie McGraw says to him, How about 30? (laughs) And he laughs, and we laugh, and McQueen laughs, and Allie laughs, and she counts it out, and he says, golly, you know what? Mm, You too. And they give him, she gives him $30,000 in cash, in hundreds, and McQueen says, you're going to have to walk back on your own, you know, and Pickens just. Tosses that off and says, well, don't worry about me. And uh, they smile goodbye at each other. And he smiles at Allie. And he starts to stroll back to the border. And it's such a nice moment. McQueen says, uh, shakes his hand and says, I hope you get what you want. And uh, he smiles and says, Vaya con Dios. And uh, he strolls away. And Steve smiles at Ally. And you know what? That's what I call a happy ending. And it's not heavy-handed. But folks, that's a magic movie moment. Steve gets back in the truck. And off they go. And in their new marriage... And somewhere in Mexico. And somewhere with a lot of money. But, you know, there's something. There's nothing quite like getting a new car. We forget that. We don't really think about it much. But the whole thing of, well, get get a new car. Wow, that's pretty good, isn't it? Whew. Get a new car. Whatever you decide you need. Whatever you decide you want. And, uh... I was on Eddie Burke's podcast today at the Improv. And uh, my wife Eileen was on there a couple of weeks ago. We're both friends of Eddie's for, well, from quite a while. And, uh, you know, I was telling the first story, speaking of new cars. I once got, when I was single, my new Mercury Colony Park station wagon. I always wanted a station wagon, and that's just the bottom line of it. I like station wagons. And, uh, oh, I hope you do too. I keep thinking, why don't we have station wagons anymore? I know the whole world is full of SUVs and doors that slide the length of the car. I'm a, I'm not a complete idiot. I'm close, but I'm not complete. And I miss station wagons. We had a Ford LTD station wagon when I was a kid. That was well, the top of the line in the Ford world, and it was forest green with the phony wood paneling on the side and the phony wooden frames around the phony wood paneling. And by the way, th- that was great stuff. I don't, I don't know why anyone ever got one without the phony wood paneling. I don't know. When I was a kid, how do you not get that? And we had that. That was a 69 car and had, boy, all the Ford stuff on it. And, uh, boy, I'll never forget. One night, in fact, I borrowed that car from my folks to uh, go pick up my friend, Billy Walsh. And uh, we were going to go, well, we were going to go to a friend's place. And we did. And I don't want to make this sound too wholesome. We went to a friend's place to drink. And I was, let's see, I was, I think, in school. No, I was out of school. And uh, so I picked up Billy. And we went not too far, half hour away. And drank for a while. And that's just the only way to put it. We were kids, and we thought, "Well, here's a good idea." And then uh, Billy and I just got back in, got back into the Ford LTD station wagon, and headed back home. I was going to drop Billy off. And by now it was well, it was about one, one thirty in the morning. Remember, in those days, especially New York bars closed at four a.m., so they didn't close at two or at one, or where, whatever it is where you live. So Billy and I uh, coincidentally passed a bar. That's right, called the Public House. And we parked there and went in, and Billy got the idea that we should start drinking flaming shots of 151 rum. And I did, I'd never done that. I still don't even know what it, what it is. But he showed me, said, so we did that. The bartender, we were sitting, standing at the bar. you got to stand at the bar for doing flaming shots, I think. I don't want to be too picky. But we set those up. The bartender poured them right in front of us. And Billy explained, you know, what you do is, it's on fire, so it's flaming. So what you do is, you don't inhale and you don't exhale. And you just knock it back with the flame. And... Well, that sounded reasonable to me. And we did. We lit them with, uh, with a match or a cigarette lighter. I can't remember which. And just they went, you know, they go right up. And right there, well, you don't want the alcohol to burn off. So you, you just pick them up and bang, knock it back. Success. Hey, we did it. How do you like that? There's no burning feeling. There's no bad sensation. And I said, how do you like that? And uh, the bartender nodded approvingly. And, well, he's a bartender. You figure he's seen just about everything. And uh, we had another one. We had uh, four of them. And the reason we stopped there was because on the fourth one, uh, Billy, it was a good friend of mine. Boy, we we just had a great time together. And Billy missed his mouth. That's the only way to put it. He missed. And he was right-handed and just... It went a little to the left, and uh, it set his face on fire. There's no other way to put that, I guess. And uh, the face, his face, and the whole side of hair on his left side of his head. So they went up, whew, and I mean, they're on fire. And it's me standing next to him there. So I did what John Wayne did in the, the Quiet Man, I just yelled to the bartender, "Bar towel," and uh, he he knew what to do. He, he said he had a wet bar towel there, tossed it to me, and I started patting Billy's head there to put the well to put it out. His head and his hair and his face were on fire, and when he when I started, you know, patting and wiping and. With the Bartel, he thought, he thought I was hitting him. He thought I was just starting a fight. And so he fought back. He said, why, what are you doing? And he fought back, and he reared back, and he punched me. A good one, too. He was a righty. And he punched me, bang, right in the nose and the eye. And I just, ah, and, you know, and I'm trying to put his face out. And I kept going, and he hit me again. But he didn't know he was on fire. How do you how often do you get a chance to say that and I did I got him out. I put him out, and that's when uh he said, and the bartender said, "You know, you know you're on fire, your friend just put the fire out, and he said, "Oh, I thought so we we headed out we uh we had one more shot by the way, it's so weird. life is so funny of uh of one fifty one run flaming, and we we lit it again just to close completely. And we went bang, knocked it back just fine. And then we got into uh, our car and I I drove us. I was going to drive him home. It's only about 10 to 15 minutes to his place and his place, meaning the house he grew up in where his parents were and his uh, two younger, the brother and sister, and they had two older. But anyway, uh, as I was going, I uh, I clipped a car that was parked on the street. Well, not, not too bad. How do you call that not bad, I just realized. Well, it wasn't too bad, but in our LTD Ford wagon, I clipped the car just about, well, a half inch, but that's enough, and I knocked off all of the frame, the metal phony stuff on the right side of the wagon, and some chrome stuff, and it sheared. I sheared it off, and then just you know stopped, and uh, about ten feet later, and just said, "Oh, good Lord!" Except I didn't say, "Oh, good Lord." It was it was another word, you all know, and uh, we stopped, and Billy and I got out and ran back well, about 100 feet, to pick up all the parts of the wagon and toss them in the Ford, you know, in the back seat and in the back of the car. There are a lot of parts, too. Once once you shear another car. And then we got in the car, and uh, Billy said, you know what, I better drive, which made sense. I mean, if, what am I bona fides? At that point, you know, I just clipped a car. But anyway... We went to my house, because at that point, the idea seemed to be, let's just get to a house. And we knew we wanted to get to my house, because, well, it's it's, it's our car, and my dad needed it to to drive to work the next day. At that point, the next day was four hours away. But we did. We parked in the driveway, came in the house, and uh, tiptoed upstairs, which is never a tiptoe, by the way, is it? It tiptoed upstairs to the attic, and there were a couple of beds up there. And you know, we could wash up, but Billy didn't feel bad or anything. Uh, and his entire face and was burned and black. and the his entire one half of his hair was gone and black. And uh, so we got up the next day. I wanted to, I remember, oh, I forgot to hang the keys up uh, on the key hanging place, just in the hallway between the kitchen and the den. And I did that. I went downstairs. You got your underwear on. That's about it, you know, just a pair of underwear. And I went back down there and uh, hung the keys up. And that's exactly the moment my dad, who was shaved and showered and wearing a suit, my dad was a lawyer, a great lawyer, and he's got his attache case there, and he's, well, he's going to work. He's going to be in court that day. And he sees me standing there in my underwear, and I said, hey, Dad, good morning. And he uh, nods and smiles, and of course, you don't look right, you know. You just, and why why should you? You don't, you don't look right. And he said, all right, well, good morning. I said, uh, Billy spent uh, the night here. He's upstairs. Okay. And he's got to go to work. So he does. He heads out. And I said, all right, that went well. He picked up the keys from the rack where I just put them. And he headed out and out the front door. And uh, Billy came down during this because we heard the talking. And and he also was just wearing underwear. And about 15 seconds later, my dad comes back in the house holding Three or four huge parts of the Ford that had been sheared off when I sheared them off. And he's holding them, and they're like really long spears. And he looks at me and, uh, "Want to tell me something about this?" And I said, "Oh boy, this is you're in the bag now." And Billy Billy was always a great guy. And Billy comes to my defense, but he says, uh, Mr. Miller, I just want you to know something. I don't trust a lot of uh, of our friends to drive drunk, but Larry can do it. And uh, now I'm I'm trying to say to Billy, under my breath, uh, don't, don't, uh, don't, uh, ixnay on the runk jay, you know, and, uh, and just uh, and Billy said, "Larry can do it. He's the guy. If you're going to have a few drinks, and we had a lot last night, and he's this is him helping me, and uh, and Larry's the guy to trust." But then you know, on the way home, which was, he looked at me. What was that? About three in the morning, three thirty, and it was, by the way. But he he said, uh, "Well, the truth is, Larry clipped a car that was parked on the side of the street on Du Bois Avenue." And, uh, well, we went back and got all the stuff and put it in the car, in your car. And because Larry kept saying, my dad's got to get to work tomorrow in the car. And so he's really, God bless him, he's really trying to help. And, of course, my father's looking at, remember, he's looking at a man in underpants with a burnt face and no hair on the left side. All just burned. and. And he just looks over at me and says I think you and Mommy and I should have a talk after dinner tonight. And I said, Good, sounds good, you know, and and that's fine, it would have been fine, but you know, he was he was saying that the way he should, as a father, he just sees that you know, his car, his gillion dollar car, they don't give you those for free, as you know. And and he uh he started to walk back out the door, still holding, by the way, the parts. And then he turned right around again and walked back to us and handed the parts to me. And I said, uh, you know, just nodded and you just want to agree. There's nothing to hide from. I mean, it's kind of all out already. And Billy had sort of told the whole story. And I didn't mind. He's, God bless him, he's a great guy. And uh, he, uh, he was defending me. If you need a drunk driver, Larry's the one to get. <sighs> and uh, my dad walked out the door, closed it, you hear the big click, and went to work. And uh, that was quite, well, that was quite a conversation we had after that dinner, which is another story, by the way. I will tell you that one. And it's all true. All these stories are true, but the truth is, this story, the end of this story, is about cars. And I wanted a station wagon. And I went out and got with my friends Seinfeld and Wallace, George Wallace, great comic, as you know. I went to uh, Galpin Ford, and the three of us, in the car I had at the time, because I wanted to get a Ford or Mercury station wagon. And I did. I met a great guy, uh, Brian Allen, who's uh, just a great employee of theirs and runs the whole section and the division of this and that. He does a great job. And I bought, they had it one sitting right there, a white four-door Mercury Colony Park station wagon with, yes, the phony wood paneling on the side and the frame around it. And... I was as happy as a clam, and and Seinfeld and Wallace were happy too. Remember, nobody is bored by this. If you're a guy, and I think women too, everybody's the same. That hey, I'm going out to buy a car. Who doesn't love that? And uh, we finished the business there about oh nine thirty, I think it was. And everybody shook hands, and we went. There's our car in the light, and it was all nice and shiny. It was my station wagon. And uh remember uh Wallace got in the in the back of uh where they have the two kid seats that face each other that pop up from the station wagon floor and he said I've never sat in one of these seats and I want to sit it right now. I want to be in it right now. And he's not a he's not a small man. Wallace is about six six and you know muscular and has well, about three hundred pounds. I don't know. But he did, he sat in that seat, and those, not, those are not big seats, but he didn't care. And Seinfeld sat in the passenger seat next to me, and off we went back home. And that is, by the way, the reason it came up today on, on Eddie Burke's podcast is because that was the car I was driving when Eileen and I had our first date. I picked her up in her apartment. She had a roommate, and uh, I brought a bottle of champagne, and we sat there drinking it in her uh, living room and talking and smiling and laughing, and there we go. Now it was time to go. We were going to go out to dinner, and we walked outside, and my car, my new Mercury wagon, was right in front of of her place there on the street, and there were two other cars there, nobody else on that street. Three cars, and uh, one was—they were about uh, ten feet apart too. One was a Volkswagen, well, station wagon, I guess, the old style, the old ones, you know those, the big, the big rectangular wagons. And the other on the other side was a Porsche, uh, kind of a fancy Porsche. And she said, "And my and my car, the Mercury Colony Park wagon, was in the middle." And she said, uh, "Which is yours?" And I said, uh, "Well, you pick which do you think is mine?" And she smiled. She's great. And uh, she picked first. She picked the Volkswagen, and I said, "Nope." Pick again. And then she picked the Porsche, and I said, "Nope." And she looked at me and she said, "The station wagon is yours." I said, "Just got it." And uh, I said, "Here we go." And I walked her to the car and, of course, opened the door for her and put her in and closed the door. And we had a nice date, and we went to dinner someplace and just sat there having fun and a couple of drinks, but not a zillion drinks, but, I mean, just had a nice meal and a couple of cocktails to start it. And I took her back to her place and dropped her off, and she told me that... uh, That night her roommate was already home and her roommate said to her, uh, so how'd it go? How was the first date. And she looked at her roommate and said, well, this is either the start of something really big or I'm never going to see that guy again. And I laughed when I heard that. And uh, I mean, that's a pretty solid reaction of "What, what is this guy crazy for getting a station wagon? I don't think so. But you know what? Well, that's not my brand. I'm a Chevy man. First car I ever got was out here. 63 Chevy that I got with Leno. He saw an ad in the paper. And he knows everything's about cars. He knows everything. He can unbuild it, rebuild it. He can do anything. And he saw an ad in the paper for a 63 Chevy four-door hardtop. And we went down there. It was an old woman in Pasadena, and she wanted $600 for it. And it was in great shape. It was white, four doors, as I said, hard top. And uh, we went inside there, and uh, $600. Oh, I had a little ding or two here and there, but just a couple of small things. Nothing at all, really. And, uh, boy, this was, I'm telling you, this is... Uh, This was a nice car, and the body was in good shape. I don't mean with just dents, but it had nothing. It looked pretty smooth all over. And again, Leno knows everything. He can look at that car, and he looked at the engine, and he looked at me, and he nodded, and he said, this is all right, $600. And uh, that became my car. Driving home from the comedy store one night, I I was the day before I had driven my friend mark king and a couple of our friends to baseball in anaheim to see the angels play and uh, i got us uh, i'll never forget a case of beer budweiser and they were drink- i wasn't drinking i'm driving and uh, they hit that beer pretty good and just tossed the empty cans on the floor And I didn't care what the heck. They're empty. And uh, so there are a lot of cans. And then that car was full of beer cans. And then we went home, got a bite or something. But the point is, the next night, I was working at the comedy store and driving home. But I hadn't cleaned the car yet. I hadn't picked up the beer cans yet. And a cop pulled me over. I'll never forget, driving down La Cienega Boulevard. And, uh, I had, I still don't even know. I don't know if I did anything wrong, but, uh, then he looked in the window and saw it's filled with empty Budweiser cans. And I said to him, Oh, good Lord, that, uh, that doesn't look good, I'm sure. And uh, I said, That looks crazy. But I just told him the truth. I said, I drove a couple of friends to, uh, to Anaheim yesterday and see the Angels play and, They all uh, drank, I got them a case of beer, and they all drank it, and uh, I haven't gotten to clean it up yet. And you know something, that's one of those moments, folks, that uh, he let me go. He just kind of tapped the pad with the the pen and smiled and said, all right, go ahead. And uh, I thought, well, that's a good deed for the day, and I just drove home to my apartment. And by the way, I cleaned up all those beer cans within the next two weeks. I mean, which is to say, I didn't get right to it. But you know what? I sure do like Chevys. And here's my dream car. I sure would like a Chevelle. I love those. I I love Impalas, old ones. If I ever went crazy with cars and had a zillion dollars, you know what? I'd get. Chevy's made, and you can get them in California. Well, not made, but I mean the ones that are maintained so well, 56 through 64 every year, and get a nice, well, nice four-door Chevy. I love those cars. But the best one for me is a Chevelle. I want a 69 or a 70 Chevelle. And one of these days, folks, of course, those are. You know, I want to get a two-door car, and uh, there'll be hard tops. I sure, sh- and I would like, uh, well, a four or five on the floor, manual shift, and uh, oh boy, and hookers headers, and uh, you know, so that it's it's a great car, and wow, that's my dream car. Uh, one of these days, I'm gonna get a Chevelle. I know it, and you know it. And remember, we both know the same things. Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to, and someone there who really cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. Get yourself a car you always liked, and drive it safely. And we'll see you here next time.